Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, buddy. Hey, this week I talked to one of your teammates instead of you this week for the first time. That's great. I love it. I'm expanding my horizons. <laughs> it's working. I'm multiplying. Yeah, good for you. Delegating is always very So, yeah. So, how you been this week? Yeah, pretty good. We had um, an internal NDA conference that many of the ISV partners that are probably listening to this attended. I was the moderator. I shared the, the developer track with Vesa. And so, we kind of between this tech team this week. My voice is definitely a bit croaky from speaking a lot this week on these calls. So uh, it's fun. It was good to get the feedback under NDA from a bunch of stuff that, you know, eventually see light of day at likely at build next year. So it's fun. It's always good to kind of do those kind of things internally. I, I love the I love the implicit confirmation that build is happening again next spring. So uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> One of these days, I hope it's in person. I get to go. And I always like that show. But um, so so uh, a quick round the Microsoft world this week. Uh, this is your regularly scheduled announcement. There's a breaking change to the beta endpoint again. This one is the settings endpoint for e-discovery. Again, it's not something I do, but yeah. So this is it's definitely niche. It's um, in our e-discovery space, but um, as with all of our beta, beater APIs, we do reserve the right to change them. In this case, we got a lot of feedback around that resource object um, and essentially renaming it. So if you are using this, it will take effect um, on October eleventh, twenty twenty-one. So obviously, no, no one's using this in production because it's a beta API and we recommend not to. But if you are, you best start writing some catches in your code to say, if the resource object gives you a 404, try this new API endpoint path instead. And so, yeah, we do try and communicate this as early as possible. But it's just, just worth noting that that's coming out. In a few weeks. Uh, well, you said we, and I think you, by we, you mean Microsoft, but you and I did a poor job because it's dated October 1st and it goes into effect on October 11th. So when the day the show comes out, boom. 11th. So, uh, that's only if we both work hard over the weekend to get the show out. So you may have, all, <laughs> this may be after the fact, but sorry, better late than better never. Better remember, better um, API, not V1. Exactly, exactly. There is though a, a V1 API available. Now the general availability of Microsoft Graph export API for Microsoft Teams messages. <laughs> and again, that's, the, I see the content writers are, are get their thesaurus out, but this one <laughs> is security and compliance related and it's quite complicated. But lucky for me, you did a great job to lining up these folks. So yeah. uh, more, more stay tuned for more information on this one. But getting Teams content out through the Graph API, I'm guessing this is like if I have bulk stuff to do. So yeah, it'd be great to, I can't wait to get more on this. Yeah, and it, it is designed for security and compliance scenarios. Um, if users have E5 licenses, they can call this to get essentially all the messages out for a user or for a team. But what they've done is they've provided an additional model that is metered so that if maybe you're not doing this for a security and compliance scenario, but you want to do it from a backup and recovery scenario or um, maybe a data insight scenario, um, you can call these APIs as well and you'll be metered per message. So it's actually the first metered API we've introduced on Microsoft Graph. So um, yeah, look out for that show. It'll be in two episodes time based on our schedule. 
Um, and so we'll get Nick Kramer and Yaron um, on the call to talk about it. Uh, looking forward to that. The next link I have is uh, latest on SharePoint site scripts. So this is a, a YouTube recording, which is a part of a community call. Kathy Dew was on with the, the M365 community call and talked about the planned updates to SharePoint site scripts, which is a way to put things into your SharePoint site. And it kind of ties in with our, our show this week, which we'll talk about in a bit, but I just wanted to highlight that availability. And once again, a shout out to, to the folks who are in charge of taking those hour long community calls and chopping them in the component pieces into individual shorter videos, which with my life lately has been easier to watch eight or 10 minutes as opposed to 55. So uh, thanks to the, the, the gang for getting all that out. Yeah, it's great that we're doing that. I think I, I'm very similar. Like sometimes I don't want to watch the whole call because not all of it's relevant for me. I'm assuming our audience is the same. So it's great that they kind of nugget sizing them to this one's 18 minutes and it's already had 600 views since it came out yesterday. So they're doing something right. And, and on YouTube videos, I can bump the the playback speed, you know, so although. Yeah, that's right. You can hear Kathy speak really funny. Sometimes sometimes Kathy got Alabama and it was, I had to go back and <laughs> re-listen because her accent got in the way. <laughs> but uh, nice stuff. The next link I have is somewhat selfish. This The title is Bring VS Code Themes to Visual Studio 2022. And so there is a path for people who have created a theme in VS Code to, to port that over to the big Visual Studio. So whoever it is who wrote the theme that I have in VS Code, please do it for the big VS. I can't tell you <laughs> the top of my head what the, what the theme is that I use or who wrote it, but somebody somewhere should help me. <laughs> so do we just call big VS Visual Studio and the other one is called VS Code? Like that I don't know yes. how we're naming these things now. The, the official name is Visual Studio and then VS Code. Is, well, yeah. So then that's what we see here in this title. But VS is Visual Studio. Yeah, uh, yeah a little bit of uh, recursion going on there, I would think. Yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, but, but no, it's there. I mean, so Visual Studio has had themes forever. You had blue and you had gray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they added a dark one at some point. But now uh, the whole extensibility bit that you can do in VS Code um, can be brought over. So looking forward to that. Oh, although uh, I may try it myself, but we'll see. And then uh, moving on to the community, for those who are new to the space and maybe don't know how much we suffered with the SharePoint 2010 user interface, I encourage you to go to this next link. This is Todd Clint. <laughs> <laughs> and Todd has his blog hosted on SharePoint 2010. Um, and now that the great restore of 2021 is complete, you can see this new post he has about how to get the Microsoft 365 connected user with PNP PowerShell. <laughs> and this is interesting because if you like me, where you have multiple environments, dev, test, staging, and maybe you connect to a, a customer tenant if you're a consultant. So we have more than one tenant. So who are you connected as? And a while back, I, I published a module in for PowerShell called the Magic Tooltips, or I republished it, Magic Tooltips to help with this as well. But PNP PowerShell is the one gap I have. So thanks, Todd, for showing me how to get this information. I can roll it into the tooltip. But uh, uh, the short answer is with a simple command that he shows, you can figure out how you've logged in and what ten, you know, the email address of what you're logged in with or UPN. So that gives me my name and tenant that I'm connected using PMP PowerShell. So I don't do something stupid in the wrong place, which is really the ultimate goal, right? Don't be stupid. Goal number one. And actually what's funny, he's got in his top left corner, the old site logos he's got is the, um, the Firebird because he has a Pontiac Firebird original in original um, um, 
what would you say? The original state has not touched the paintwork at all. I remember me showing me some photos of it a few years ago and um, it's been used in movies. It's it's in that good quality. You probably know I'm a car person if you listen to the show and he's promised me a drive if I ever get out his way. I'd love to drive one and see what it's, see what it's like. But it's a beautiful looking car. What was the TV show that used to be in? You're old enough to remember that. You mean um, with Hasselhoff in the car? No, that was Kit. That was Knight Rider. Knight Rider wasn't a. Was that a Pontiac? I have no movie? idea. I'm not a car guy. <laughs> <laughs> to me, a car is a thing that just gets me back and forth to the grocery store. <laughs> uh, it's the Rockford Files was the one. Oh, I do remember yeah. watching that. Yeah. So he drove one. Oh, wow. The Trans Am is the. Oh my gosh. IMDb actually has a whole thing following cars and films. Look at that. Well, I guess you'll have to drop a link in the show notes for that now, too. <laughs> so this week on the show, I was delighted to sit down with a couple of community members, Louisa Frise and Carmen Icywin. I think I got those right because I asked them ahead of time. <laughs> but Louisa and Carmen published an open source project called Provision Genie, which is a low-code solution for creating a team and some stuff in the team. And so we sat down, I pulled up their documentation, which is voluminous for an open source project. And we went through all the different pieces and got their experiences and what it can do, what it can't do, why they did A or B and tips and tricks for folks who want to go down the same path. So encourage you all to listen, even if you if you use big VS or small VS, either way, there's some tips in, in here that are worthwhile. So uh, thanks to the thanks to the two of them for joining us. And that'll do it for this week. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, Paul. See you, mate. This week on the show, I am delighted to welcome a couple of folks from Europe, so no Jeremy, but Carmen and Luisa. Welcome, folks. Thank you. Hi. Hi there. The two of you conspired to create a terrific solution that I think will be relevant for our audience. And so we're going to talk about Provision Genie. Great name, too. So before we start on that, let's get introductions. Uh, Carmen, yours is a new name in my world. So can you introduce yourself to our whole fantastic world of developers? Uh, I'm Carmen. I'm a low-code developer, so probably not the typical developer that you have on this show. Um, I develop in the Power Platform. I work for Cubics in Belgium. And um, I met Louisa on a conference last year, right before the pandemic. We met in uh, Warsaw. It was the last flight I've been on since. Uh, and then um, the end of last year, we got together to start building Provision Genie. So Louisa, now you can introduce yourself a bit. So um, I'm Louisa, um, I'm an M365 consultant and Power Platform developer, Microsoft MVP, member of the PNP team. Um, I like Lego and stickers a lot. And yes, so um, Carmen and I found each other on a conference and somehow sticked together and um, then we built Provision Genie. So that's terrific. Now, what is Provision Genie? Let's start there. Yeah, so Provision Genie is a low-code open source solution to provision Microsoft Teams assets while blending in a learning experience for users. So we did not stop at only provisioning a team or even just like a naked team, but usually users can't articulate what they need to work 
before they know how it works. And this way, we thought it would be a cool idea to first educate users and then provision exactly what they need rather than just like giving them a naked team or relying on a template because templates never work. So they never reflect what users really need because they all have very unique needs. Well, yeah, I would say we've run into that as well. Templates, while great, they're not always 100% there, right? They get you so close, but it's that last bit that makes your company yeah. unique that always makes the struggle yeah. so so excellent. So so you mentioned a little bit about, you know, teaching folks to go as well. And so I, I, my first click into the docs folder in the repo has got some great stuff here. So so what was your approach as you started going through this, this documentation? How did you decide what to put in here and, and why so much depth? <laughs> like architecture decisions, which is great, right? Was this first or was this last? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think we took several attempts to document what we built as we did several attempts to build what we actually built. So, of course, we both did provisioning workflows before, but then we wanted to do it one time the really right thing. And this meant to have some kind of architecture decisions. And as we were growing in this project, we felt like it's a very good idea to explain what we were thinking, rather than just like putting stuff out there and say, hey, like it or not, it's um, it's up to you, but just explaining why we went for this or the other tool um, to make it more approachable. And then, of course, docs were lost and documentation is never finished. <laughs> so um, I, I, I think um, today I added something as well. Yes. Yeah, very early on, we started with a small prototype with an idea. Um, and then we had just a simple app or an, uh, an ugly app. Uh, we can say that Louisa had a very ugly application. <laughs> I, I, I built the most ugly power app that ever has been built. Yes. <laughs> um, and then we had... Uh, well, I'm sorry. I was going to say, so was Power App where you started? I mean, wh where as you go about this approach, right? So, so I... I'm, I'm less of a UI guy, so I go through and say, okay, I'm going to create stuff. I have a little command line or something to create stuff in the back end. But what was, uh, you both said you're low focus on the low code. So was, was Power Apps the beginning or is it somewhere else? No, it was not. So the very first approach was to um, have a very simple form or to have conversation in a chatbot and then do the logic and power automate. And then very, very soon we realized we did not want to do this in power automate because power automate flows run in the context of a user and it's just like for personal productivities and we have um, issues with our developer experience and it's not easy to monitor and it had licensing issues and it was just like, it was painful for us and then we decided to go another route and we decided on responsibilities in our project and I was responsible for doing the UI in the Canvas app and making sure that Carmen has all the data that she would need in the right way at the right um, point of time so that she could deal with the logic um, in Azure Logic Apps. So Logic Apps being the, the back-end engine, if you will, I'm guessing then that that's invoked via HTTP. So it sounds the typical developer, right? I, I can't do the, the UI and call something until that something exists. Is that, that right? 
So let's let's dive into the the Logic app. Uh, what what did you find interesting or a struggle is, is when you started diving into Logic apps? Maybe maybe I'm guessing your background was started with Flow, but as you dig into this, what did you come across? Well, we definitely started with um, with Power Automate and then with the Power Apps and then even with SharePoint. But that's another discussion for another time. <laughs> uh, but when we moved to Logic apps, it was the first time that I was building a Logic app. Um, and I was um, heavily surprised by the fact that it resembles Power Automate so much. So it was very familiar for me. It felt very good to be able to work in the same way with it. But then additionally, that you can switch to the code view um, or the JSON view, which from Power Automate I have a little bit of experience with, with the passing JSON back and forth. Um, and then you can just simply copy things, put them in separate logic apps to make sure so you split the logic out over um, different logic apps, which we did in the end as well. That's what I, what I was happily surprised by. The most difficult part was, or that actually came later, it was getting those deployed. Making that deployment template, that was complete hell <laughs> for me. Uh, first time, it was complete hell, <laughs> personally. Yeah, but Carmen did an amazing job on that. And yes, uh, the learning curve was a little bit steep, perhaps. But um, yes, so I, I think we both grew in that uh, project. And I'm very happy um, that Carmen did all this stuff um, in the uh, deployment uh, template. And it works like a charm now. So is that an Azure resource template or is that uh, instruction? Yeah, OK. Yep. So uh, I've spent this week working in Bicep. It's so much easier. <laughs> so maybe we, we, we can. We can chat on that if you'd like as well. So, okay, so you have Logic App, and now you mentioned there's multiple. What are these multiple Logic Apps? Why multiple? What do they do? Uh, because quite early on in the project, we decided that we didn't just want to build this for ourselves and for fun, but that we actually wanted this to become an open source project, and we wanted it to host it on GitHub and all of that good stuff. Um, but that meant that people should be able to contribute to it, and also that they should be able to adapt it quickly to what they need. So if we then put all of the logic of creating the team, um, adding a new channel in creating a team, but then adding a library, adding a list, um, giving a welcome package with a link to some training material, if you put all of that in one giant logic app, then it would be very or more difficult for people to, um, to manipulate it, to um, customize it to their needs, their, to their organization's needs. Then we put that into separate logic apps, which they can just remove the call to that logic app from our main logic app. Um, and then they can customize it more easily. And it's also easier for ourselves to add on additional logic uh, in a child logic app um, in the future. Also, it was easier when we were debugging it. <laughs> also, yes, testing just yes. one small thing instead of always running everything. So let's wait for that team to be created again, and then we can see if the library is added this time or not. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention, you, you can't get a screen wide enough to scroll left and right on all the decisions that you need to make when you're in the designer, right? If you have a big one. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, and, and then, so if I, in, in the Logic app, now, obviously, you're creating things, and so there's a connection to Microsoft Graph. Did you find that straightforward, or was that a struggle as well? Uh, I already had some experience with connecting to Graph, so that was okay. I think that the documentation is 
is quite good for um, doing the calls. It was, it was, uh, I was, um, I understood it quite quickly. Uh, plus, I have a, a good mentor, um, Yannick, who is um, who, who is also a friend of Louisa, and he also brought us into contact, um, who helped me when I had any questions or when I had any doubts um, with Prof. So that helps always to get help. And and that connection to Graph, and, and you call this out in the documentation a couple places, is that you're making app-only calls. So can we talk a little bit there? Was that just easier or was that because of, of well, wh wh why choose app-only? I guess so let me just let you answer the question. <laughs> I think so. It, it felt just like wrong to rely on delegated permissions because it means you need to have a service account or you need to somehow work around that issue and it felt like okay so this product is not ready they do not have a fully functional api uh, they do not want us to have a good developer experience so we're kind of okay so then we will just like drop that so you can name it if you like to i won't uh, no, so w w we don't do planner for um, exactly that reason, and so w because it was a lack of security, because we did not want to have a service account, which then could not be MFA enabled. We did not want to work around uh, not fully function API, and therefore we said, okay, so we will go for app only permissions, and if something that we wanted to provision does not present this um, this app level permission, so then um, yeah, okay, so then we will not do this. And it was a hard choice, but it felt like the right thing to do. And and so this app only request, does that mean I need to create an application in my tenant as part of deployment and set its permissions? Or do you do some other approach? Our solution is just like, consisting of two parts. On the one hand side, it's the um, Dataverse solution with the Dataverse tables and the Power App and security roles so that we get the Power Platform stuff deployed. And that is just like a zip package, but the security roles are in there. And to access those Dataverse tables, you will need an app registration in AD. For the Logic apps, you won't need an app registration as authentication is handled with a managed identity. And we felt that this is way superior than handling credentials and having the risk that they could get exposed over several tenants or um, even have an extra maintenance task if um, because the day it expires is the day you want to demo it. And it's just like, it's it's awful usually um, to deal with that. And if you it felt like better. So yes, there is an app registration uh, necessary uh, during deployment to access the Dataverse tables because we um, we give them to you as well. But for the Logic apps, it's not um, necessary. So the Logic app, when it contacts Microsoft Graph, did you get that working with managed identity or is that using the app registration bits? Managed. Yep. Excellent. So there we go. I haven't tried that yet, so I'm glad to see that that's working. Excellent, right? Um, all right. And and so the you've mentioned Dataverse a couple of times, and this is intriguing to me. I haven't had a chance. And so Paul's rudimentary understanding is it's like SharePoint lists where I can just create a column and on the fly and off I go. But you're probably I'm probably mistaken. So can can we talk a bit about what is the Dataverse, and then we'll dig deeper. So let's start there. What is Dataverse? So perhaps you go first, Carmen. What is Dataverse? And then I will elaborate a little bit why we chose to, um, to use Dataverse. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, well, Dataverse is the built-in database that's in the Power Platform, and it's I see it as a SQL database on steroids because there is a lot more in it than just um, a database. Um, there is also built-in security with the security roles, and um, you have this very um, easy-to-build model-driven app that you can just use to model data. Um, or that just reflects the data model that is built into, that, that you build in Dataverse, that's very easily reflected in a model-driven app, um, which just gives your, um, which just gives an, a very easy and, um, it's, I wouldn't say it's beautiful, because I believe Canvas apps can be made more beautiful, but it is quite intuitive, um, and it looks modern. Um, it's basically the same, if you know Dynamics, it has the same look and feel. Um, so, yeah, that's what Dataverse is. It's um, a SQL database on steroids. Yeah, excellent. I will totally steal that from you, Carmen, for my next presentation. So this is this is just beautiful. Uh, and I like the enthusiasm with uh, of Carmen talking about Dataverse. So basically why we did chose um, Dataverse um, is when we look at the alternatives. And of course, so I come from an Office 365 background. I love SharePoint. And I love SharePoint for content and for collaboration. I do not believe that a SharePoint Point list would be a relational database because so there is no role-based access uh, control, which means in our case, if we would store our uh, team's requests, just like in a SharePoint list, then this would mean that I needed to share my SharePoint list with each and every single user that would be using this app. And this means that users could bypass the app just log into the SharePoint sites, <laughs> click the gear icon, list settings, and manipulate um, settings, edit data, delete data just as they please, um, even accidentally. So at hiding this list, it's just like obscurity. It's not security at all. So um, this was not a good option. Plus, the more data you put in the SharePoint list and the more columns you have and the more complex things get, just like uh, people columns or lookup columns or um, calculated columns, so all those complex columns will have an effect on the performance of an app. And uh, we wanted a good user experience. So the whole purpose of that thing is to have a good user experience. And if we then provide a bad user experience because it's slow, or it's ugly that users won't use it. And therefore, SharePoint was not a good option. So we were looking into something that is performant and that is secure. And um, so Dataverse was our choice. How do I get started with Dataverse? Obviously, the audio only makes it a little bit difficult, but is, is there a dataverse.com I go to and start point and click, or is it something more more complex? I think there is a learning path for a Power Platform fundamentals. So um, I would highly recommend to everyone who's looking into Dataverse to do the uh, PL900 uh, certification, and Dataverse is included in that. And um, docs and learn offer just like a variety of learning content. Okay, and so when I'm in there, uh, you have pictures of a, of a entity relation model, which is right out of SQL Server type thing. So do I get a designer where I can say I'm creating entities and I relate them just like I would do something in a Power BI look and feel or a, a SQL designer? Can I write t Can I write SQL or do I write you know create table statements? <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, it's completely guided by the UI where you just say I want to create a table. And then inside that table, I create columns of different types. And then I can also define relationships, but it's not, 
um, it's not in the same way with the boxes and then you can drag and drop them onto each other. It's, it's a bit different, I would say. I don't know how you define things in SQL. Well, the, the, which is, you know, which is a good answer to the question, right? I mean, obviously, if <laughs> you get, someone's done a good job making the, the data work. But to be honest, so this diagram um, for how the tables relate is made in uh, Power BI. Uh, which has a beautiful uh, dataverse connector. So you can just like uh, visualize uh, the data model um, using Power BI and it only takes 15 seconds to do so. <laughs> Assuming you have the right you know, data security roles, right? So they, you mentioned re repeatedly there's the roles inside of dataverse. And so does that, is that what I'm expecting? There's a read, write or read only or change the schema, different roles. And, and where are those defined in dataverse or in Azure or somewhere else? Uh, you, you define those in Dataverse, and in a security role, you can essentially say um, which um, entities, which tables, the people that have that security role can edit, can read, can um, create, and you can not only say that they can create or read certain uh, tables, but even um, if those ta if, the, if that record was created by me, by the people in my business unit, or by the people in my organization. So that's a way that you can define um, security rules in uh, in Dataverse, and you can even go a step further and define and, and um, define certain fields that only certain roles can access and can use, can read, and can um, can edit. So that's that you have really granular control of security in Dataverse, which is um, such a huge huge advantage compared to SharePoint. Yeah, I, I do need to kick the tires on that. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. So I certainly look forward to that. Now, so let's get back to the to the Power App. Now, I, I've got API calls in the background in a Logic App, and, and I've got data that I can store in Dataverse. So in Power App, I think I heard you say it's, it's a Canvas app, right? So what let's go through what does the Power App do? Yeah, so the Power App is uh, the UI that's brought to our end user because our end user needs to say, hey, um, I want to have a team with just like um, a planning channel and a budget channel, or I want to have a list which is called events, and I need uh, several columns, and these are the column types, and these are the column names, and so on. And we will need to educate our user as well. So we have learning content in our application and uh, we have a lot of forms as well and we collect all that data and then store it in Dataverse. And once data is stored in Dataverse, then um, our flows kick off and uh, provision everything um, that we already talked about. So the the Power App is the entry point into Provision Genie then, yes? So, yep. so is there anything unique about that or is it a typical go to the Power App UI or pack the package on your app or what? Oh, I see yeah. the folks can't see the, 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 the scowls you two are showing me right now. So let's explain that. <laughs> yeah. So um, usually, and I, I, I say that with all my love for Power Platform, so usually if you create a Canvas app, it's ugly. And it just it looks like a Canvas app. Yeah. If you know Canvas apps, you see it's a Canvas app. <laughs> it, it, it looks like DIY. And it, it's not beautiful at all. And it's not intuitive and users won't like it. And it looks like cheap because it is cheap. And the Power Apps team is not making it easy to make 
apps or to, to give us guidance or assistance in making apps look and feel like Teams native. And to achieve that, you need to switch roles and have more like a developer point of view and say, okay, so look, here's Fluent UI, here's the Teams UI toolkit, let's use that. So let's use those um, those approaches and those materials to get stuff done. And even then, it's just like, it's not meant to be like that, but you can do a very, very cool looking um, Canvas app in Power Apps if you put a lot of extra work in it. And I think it's worth it because then it's just like friction uh, less. Because if users feel like, hey, this it looks strange, it does not belong here, it doesn't look familiar, then they are just like hesitant. And then they won't adapt very easily. And the more it looks like, hey, this is meant to be there, it looks familiar, I don't even know that this is not Teams native, but that this is a third-party application, then they are more likely to adopt this and more likely to use it in the way it is intended to be used. So you're surfacing the Power App inside of Teams? Yep. We'll write the personal app. Does the repo include instructions on how to create this personal app, or is it really just a person goes and, and creates a tab themselves? No. Everything that you need to do is inside of the the repository, and you can find this, shall I say it? You can find it at github.com slash provision genie slash provision genie. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for that. We'll certainly put that in, in there in the, uh, the um, in the show notes as well. And so, and so the, the I'm guessing then since you've done, you've complained about all this work, you've actually gone through that in, in your Canvas app and it looks Teams-ish, I'm guessing. I think so, yes. So um, we are happy about any feedback, but um, yes, it does look like a Teams native app, and it does not look at all like a low-code application or speci more specifically a Canvas app. It does not. So it looks like properly developed. And, and is that app, I haven't clicked around through the repo, but is that app then in the repo where I can look at how you did that? Is that that's all part of this? Yes. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. And so... And the next thing I want to talk about, you mentioned a little bit how when I'm using the, the UI and I fill in the forms with everything I need, and then you put an entry in Dataverse, and then the flow is kicked off. So is the Power App talking to Logic Apps, or is Dataverse triggering that Logic App, or how, how do you make that, tie those pieces together for me? So uh, the Power App is talking to Dataverse. And Dataverse is talking to the Logic app. So whenever uh, there is a new uh, record, no, a new row. So they renamed a record, so it's now a row. Whenever there is a new row in the Dataverse tables, then um, the flow kicks off and provisions. And so the Power app, I'm guessing, it sounds like it's a somewhat complicated looking form or multiple forms, right? Is it, it then caching data locally until I click the submit button, right? Is that so that that, that kind of work? Yep. Do I get all the power app goodness on mobile as well? So if I if you know someone calls me and says I need a team, I can pull out my mobile device and go at it. Yeah. So right now it's not fully responsive. So it might be that um, you do not get just like the full beautiful experience, but yes, it does work on mobile as well. But of course this is already in our issues list that we made for ourselves to make this app fully responsive but usually we felt like so if you really need to have some minutes to reflect with your team hey team 
what do we need? So how do we want to work together? How will our collaboration work? Then you do not do this between just like two doors. It's just like, so you will sit down and you will not do this on your mobile phone. So at least this is what we had in mind, but um, yeah, working on it. So I remember in, when I've done Power Apps a long time ago, uh, I could choose whether it was desktop or mobile at the beginning, right? But there was no automatic switch back and forth. Is that still the case? That is still the case. And you can yeah. containerize okay. everything so okay. that it would adjust um, to your screen size. Right now, we did not do this. Um, we felt like other parts of that app would be just like more valuable to put time into like security and authentication and uh, a proper data model. And so we didn't go for a minimal viable product. What we said, it's a minimal lovable product. So. Uh, <laughs> That's perfect. I haven't heard that the, the description before, but I totally love it. Okay. And so now we've talked a little bit about deployment, right? <laughs> this is the last stop. So uh, there seems to be quite a few pieces. I'm deploying a Dataverse set of tables and I'm deploying a set of logic apps, which require Azure resources and I'm deploying Power Apps. UI, or I'm sorry, Power App. <laughs> Holy cow. So, yeah. <laughs> How do I get started going on that, right? So, I see a deployment folder in the repo. Can we, we talk at a high level what, what the steps would be? So, we provide a deployment guide that walks you end to end through all steps. And we tested this with end users. So um, even end users can deploy this because the documentation is really just like waterproof. Um, so high level would be um, it's easier to um, to fork and clone uh, the repository because then you already have everything that you need locally available as well. So that is not needed, but we recommend it. Well, you just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you just lost the big, <laughs> not, not our audience is okay, but power users are going to struggle with that one, right? Well, <laughs> but I love then, it. We provide <laughs> guidance for that as well. So um, I'm a member of uh, the PNP team and within the Sharing is Caring initiative, uh, we guide people through their first PR and we guide them how to use Git and GitHub. And I published several blog posts on how to use this. And so there is guidance available and we link to that. So um, don't fret. And if you have any questions, just reach out. I will help everyone through that. And in the documentation, we also try um, to not take anything for granted because that's something that um, when I started using Logic Apps, I struggled with that um, I went to, to the documentation and then there was like, do this, but then no explanation on how do I do that? Where do I find that? Uh, I don't know. It's my first time. So we try very hard in our documentation to, if we say you should create a resource group or you should create an app registration, and then we say, and this is how you do it. And if we don't say it in our documentation, we provide a link to where you can find that exact piece of information so that we try to be as complete as possible and not make any assumptions of the knowledge that our reader has, so that the person that wants to deploy it has. Yeah, which is helpful, right? I think that is a big gap in a lot of low-code solutions, right? How many times do people just put hack and hack and hack and I get it working and then, I, oh, how did I do it? And I scratch my head and go back and try to figure it out. Okay, so I interrupted you after cloning a repo. Yeah, so before I can clone this, um, next thing is the app registration for accessing the Dataverse tables. It's very straightforward and we 
put a lot of screenshots and you you can't do it in the wrong way and um, you will go through this just like very, very smoothly. Uh, next thing is you will import our Dataverse solution. So we provide you with a zip file and you will um, import that zip file into your Power uh, Platform um, environment. And after you did that, you will create the Azure resources. Um, we gave um, the option to do this via the portal. Um, in the next version, we will give you a script to do this as well with um, Azure CLI for everyone who's just like more into running a script rather than just like clicking in a UI that is ever changing. Um, next thing is, um, um, the Azure Logic apps. So we provide you with a script um, to deploy those. So that is what uh, Carmen worked on so hard and an additional script to assign the correct permissions for the managed identity. Um, and the last step would be um, add provision genie to Teams because right now it's um, it's a personal app. So you as a user will, um, will say, okay, so uh, the it is already there, but now I want to have it in the left rail in Teams. So you will just like add this. And then we do some uh, post-deployment cleanup because um, there are now some resources that perhaps cost you some, um, some sense, um, speaking of a uh, storage account or something like that, that is not needed anymore so that you do not need to pay for that. Um, very helpful. And as, and as you were describing that, I was scrolling through the, the documentation and I couldn't scroll fast enough to keep up. So that's how <laughs> comprehensive it is. So that's very awesome. All right. Now, uh, you mentioned if they reach out with questions, how do folks reach out with questions? Is this you directly or you have a separate uh, place? Where do we want to send folks if they have questions and all the, all the comments that will be coming your way for, for the, the great work you've done? Okay, so very officially, so the GitHub repo has, of course, an issues list. And if you want to share feedback or if you spot a bug or if you want to fix things or contribute to it, um, you're, you're happily invited to do so very, very officially on GitHub. If you first want to get in touch, you may find uh, both me and Carmen on LinkedIn and on Twitter. So Carmen is um, at Carmen Esven. Um, I am at Luise Freese. And uh, you will find us uh, very, very sure. We will be happy to answer all questions and uh, connect. The GitHub issue list has 13 open and 35 closed, which means they're looking at it. It's moving things great. So yes, uh, hop on, folks. Great to do that. And I'm seeing some some names that I even know about in here and, and with people pitching in to help. So glad to see this is taking off. So thank you both so much for taking the time. It was great, great solution and great conversation. Pleasure to meet both of you, at least virtually for the first time and look forward to bigger and better things from both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 